I want to speak to you this morning just simply about the more of God. There is more. There's always more in God. There is more of God. And unfortunately, many of us have shrunk God down to ourselves, down to our nation, down to our church, down to our problems, down to our situations. But in many streams and churches, unfortunately, are built around a personality, the personality of the speaker or even agreement in principles or agreement in doctrine. But I believe with all my heart that God wants to build his church. Jesus wants to build his church around his presence. And in Israel, they encamped around the presence of God. They literally established the entire camp in the desert with the presence of God at the center. And that was the Old Testament, a picture of what the New Testament church had looked like. Friends, I believe he wants to build around his presence, just his presence. And so there's more of God. We want to speak about it this morning. But there is an extreme, non-altering, non-shifting, non-changing value that's required for his presence in your heart. To have it in my heart for you is not enough. It's in your heart. This non-altering, it's going to change. Nothing's going to change the value, the way I guard his presence, the way I guard my time with him, just his presence. And the presence of God, I wrote you, nothing stirs me more. And if you've tasted of the Lord, nothing would stir you more either. That's a guarantee, nothing. Once you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and if you've tasted of his presence, nothing else matters. When the call of God comes to a person, and whenever you say call of God, we need to stop this notion in our head that there's a special few. Friends, we need to get away from that. The call of God comes to all. The one who, in a sense, God will move with are the ones who keep choosing him. <laughs> That's a fact. I'm not talking about on vocational ministry. God can use you more mightily in the marketplace. But you keep choosing him because you've tasted and seen that he's good. With all this building, I just wanted to say... We've had an upgrade as a church. It's like when you go to an app and you upgrade it. We've had an upgrade with all the awesome stuff that we have. Friends, for me, it's good and it's God. With all the stuff, I, they've done such an amazing job. I'm not going to downplay it. I'm not even have a but. It's awesome. And we need it. And it's excellence for the king to see people saved. But not at the cost of his presence. Friends, not at the cost of his presence. Without that, this means nothing. It means nothing. It's just a club. We need his presence, the ark, in the building. In the Old Testament, some of you might not know what I mean when I talk about the presence of God. I'm sure many of you do. In the Old Testament, the word, whenever it's mentioned, and most of the time in the New, whenever the word presence, the presence of God is mentioned, it's the word panaim. It just means face. It's the face of God. It's his smile. It's his warmth. It's his pleasure. It's his favor. It's his authority on you. And you know it's there. You can feel it. It can be sensed. Now you get omnipresence. And I'm not going to go into a whole theological thing. But you get the omnipresence of God. David said, where can I go from your spirit? The Holy Spirit is the presence of God, which we'll get into. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. So no way I can go where you're not. That's the omnipresence of God. Present everywhere all the time. There's the tangible presence of God. It's like in the room now. The tangible presence of God, the Bible says Cain departed from the presence of the Lord. He couldn't go away from God's omnipresence. He couldn't hide from God like God didn't know where he was. But it's the tangible presence of God that melts hearts. It's a tangible presence of God that can be felt. It's a tangible presence of God that shifts and changes a person. And if it's fostered, it can grow in a body 
If it's treasured, if it's valued in your life, it will grow in you. Where you begin to emanate that which you spend time with. You begin to emanate the one you're around. You don't have to say anything. You walk into the room and you bring something with you. With the youth many years ago, and I haven't spoken about them for a while, I said, Lord, what do you want me to do with these kids? He said, teach them this one thing, my presence, my power. Teach them this one thing. So we used to start the meeting and do whatever. But as soon as I could sense the tangible presence of God into the room, I would stop everything. I said, something just shifted. Who can sense that? Who can? And they were all like, what? I'm tired. Like, what are you talking about? And over the years, they started noticing it. It was actually months. Then about the second year, they would say, oh, something's changed. Before me, I pick it up fast. You need to train. We train ourselves to sense the presence of the Lord. And that's a tangible sense of God's presence. can be felt. Don't let anyone tell you it cannot be felt. It's been a value in this church from the beginning. It's the Holy Spirit. He ushers in the presence of the Almighty. He does, and it shifts and it changes atmospheres, it changes hearts, it changes situations. Ten minutes in the presence of God can change a life in the real presence of God. Ten minutes. So there's a prayer in the Bible that I want us to quickly go to, but do you know that the joy center in a child's brain, we all have a joy center in our brain. I was going to make a comment about someone, but I see the self-control, Lord. We all have a joy center in our brain, right? You know that the joy center in a child's brain is trained by the change of countenance on a caregiver's face when they first see them. So you walk into a room and there's a little child and they see the delight on the mother or father or if they don't have a parent, the caregiver, whoever that is, they see the change. (gasps) They see that. That trains that child's joy center. It gives them the ability to have joy in their life. Very important. That's what trains it, the change in countenance. There's a prayer in the Bible in Numbers chapter 6. Many Hebrew scholars and rabbis would tell you it's the only prayer God ever actually wrote. And he said, of this prayer, I command Aaron, the priest, to speak this prayer and pray this prayer every day over my people. Let's go read it. Number 6, verse 22. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, this is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say this to them. Verse 24. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. That's his presence. That word face is presence. And be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, the joy of your salvation. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Every day he would bless the children of Israel with that. I'm going to read it again. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face his presence, to shine on you. Friends, when the presence and the face of God shines on you, it's nothing like it. And be gracious to you. I believe that's a reference to Christ. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. I give my life to this one thing, to this one thing, the presence of the Lord. There are times when the presence of the Lord my wife will tell you, well, come upon me, come upon me so strong. And I just, the sense that I have is, I know I'm home. Because, friends, we were created, we are living, breathing organisms to know the presence of God. 
The Western mind is what gets in the way more than anything else. More than anything else. We try to figure so much stuff out. And yet God said, the Lord bless you. Make his countenance lift upon you. That's his presence, friends. That's his presence. That's his presence. Without his presence, Moses said, I will not go from here without that. I will not even attempt to move without your presence. If I just neglect this one thing, I can study, I can preach, but if I neglect this one thing, I seem to come apart at the seams. Not because of a lack of wholeness. I'm a whole person. I don't say that with pride or arrogance. Thanks to the goodness of God, there's a wholeness to me. I'm healthy in my soul. It's not because of a lack of capacity. It's because I neglected one thing. In my life's thing, I start to come apart. I just do. Because when you give your life to that one thing, and you go through life with that one thing, when that's removed, you feel like you can't do anything without it. That's just the presence of God. I don't know how people that are not saved go through tragedy. I just, they just break and break and break and break worse and worse. All the survivor stuff, all the walls they put up, it just, it's not God's way. It's not normal in the natural when a person has no appetite. When a person has no appetite and they don't want to eat, eventually you have to take them to hospital. It's a sign that there's something wrong. There's something wrong. Something is misplaced. Something is not functioning. Yet there's a dramatic lack of appetite for the more of God in the Western church. It's just not there. Something wrong. There's a lack of appetite for the things of God, for the pursuit of his presence, for the pursuit of God. There should be a hunger, a thirst. And when it's not there, it should be a sign to us. Something's not healthy. There's an unhealthiness here. Something's not functioning right when there's no appetite for the more of God. We see it in the natural, but it's like the same thing in the spirit. I wonder if you can go to John chapter 7. Jesus goes to a feast. There's a lot of quarreling about things, but then he goes to a feast. John chapter 7, let's go to verse 37. And on the last day of the feast, he stands up and he cries out. Now, I want you to imagine this. There's a big feast. They've been going for seven days. There was all this argument about him. Literally, on the way to that feast, his brother said, I mean, you should go. He said, I'm not going to go. But then he did go, and he went in secret. And there's all this animosity concerning Christ, John chapter 7. Then on the last day, he stands up and he cries out. He cried it out. The last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, I mean, imagine being there. If you were not spiritually discerned, you'd look at this guy and be like, what is wrong with that guy? He says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, the Greek there, scripture, is not in reference to one scripture, but in reference to the meaning of scripture in general in the Greek. As the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, for he had not yet been glorified. Before we get into going through the text, let me just make certain of one point. What is he talking about? The Holy Spirit, the bringer of God's presence. The person of the Holy Spirit is the presence of God. It's the presence of God. People think Holy Spirit is a new thing. It's a New Testament thing. Friends, no. <laughs> the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Genesis 1. Revelation 22. The Spirit and the bride say come. From that side to that side, the Holy Spirit. 
And when we honor the Holy Spirit as he should be honored, people are afraid to honor the Holy Spirit like God's going to get offended. Friends, he's God. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit of God. You know, in the Old Testament, when the Bible says in Isaiah, the Lord said unto me, in the book of Hebrews, when it quotes that verse, it says, as the Holy Spirit said, he speaks to you. When you hear God's voice, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. Then he says this, if anyone thirsts, if anyone, if anyone, if anyone, Friends, a large part of what I preach, what do I preach all the time? Identity, righteousness, grace versus law. That you were born corruptible seed. You were born under Adam and that person died and you've been made anew and alive with Christ and that's the person who God made you to be. If you've been here for a year, you've probably heard that ad nauseum. Good news is you're going to keep hearing it because it's the gospel. But friends, a lot of what I preach, a lot of the stuff that's so deeply ingrained in me, where does it come from? And it's just a personal journey for me. There's other men and women here that are going to preach wonderful things that I won't. But why is that so ingrained in me? Why can I not escape it? Because of pursuable for God, the pursuable for God, the things that came up in my heart, the things that hindered me, the thoughts, the mindsets, the bad doctrine, the stuff I thought about myself, that's the stuff that kept hindering me from access and set me free, became revelation to me that you all have access and that you're all righteous. We keep, as humanity, we keep trying to replace mediators. We keep trying to replace mediacy. We keep trying to put a man on the pedestal. We keep trying to do that. I don't know why we do that. We build churches around people. We build movements and streams around a personality. You will always have generals in God's army, but friends, you have access to Christ. You have access to God through Christ. It says, if anyone, that's you, if anyone, don't go through me. Don't go through the pastor. Please, I am a brother to you. That's it. If I come to your house, I have no authority in your house. Because that's your house. Priests, popes, fathers, pastors. Why do we do that? Mentors. <laughs> we all need, maybe need mentors for a season, but they're not him. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. What is the first place we run? Pick up the phone. Well, you know, I'm just... First place. Run to him. You don't pick up the phone. You get on your knees. Run to him. Even in the good times. Thank him. If anyone thirsts. What is a drought? If anyone thirsts. Who's ever been extremely thirsty, okay? You get to the point where you think a good coat just quenches thirst. Then you go way beyond that, and you're like, I need water. I need water now. You know what I'm saying? I need water. This is getting serious. And then the concerning, before you die, the thirst goes away. That's when you know, time for hospital. Get the drip, get better. What is a drought, friends? What is a drought? 
A drought is a very interesting concept. What is a drought? A drought is, say, you have two cities, Ashburn and Lansdowne. Pretend they were further apart, okay? They're not right next to each other. Say one city gets 50 inches or 50 or 20 inches of rain a year and one city gets 10. And then the one that gets 20 all of a sudden gets 30 and the one that gets 10 gets 5. The one that gets 10 is in a drought. They go to the one that gets 30, they think, abundance of rain. Drought doesn't mean no rain. It just means not enough rain to sustain life. But when you're in a place with abundant rain, you think, wow, this is not a drought. Most of the body of Christ, even if you go to a place where the Spirit of God is flowing, it's a drought compared to biblical levels. It's a drought. You can go to a place that has so much more rain. Biblically, they're still in drought when you look at the New Testament. If anyone thirsts, if anyone hungers, let him come to me. We sang this morning, let it rain. To all who are thirsty, let him come to me and drink. So what would they do? Jesus stood up and proclaimed this. Let me give you a bit of context. You know what they would do? They would take water from the pool of Siloam. The pool of Siloam came from the spring of the fountain of God. They would take water and they would run it over to where the feast was and they would pour it out on the ground. It's called a libation. It's a drink offering. Uh, many false religions do it too. They pour out a thing and offering to their false god. It's a libation. But you know they did it with two things. They did it with three logs. That's a measurement they used. It's about a bottle. They took a bottle of water and they poured it out. And they also took the same amount of wine. Wine, they didn't even understand why they do that. Wine represents the new wine, the spirit of God. What is Jesus speaking about? The Bible says it. Of this, he was speaking of the Holy Spirit. They had just poured out water. They had just poured out wine. And he says, no, no, if anyone thirsts, come to me. They would also pour out wine. And friends, let me speak to you very briefly about living water. Who knows the concept of living water? If there's any Jews in our midst, they'd know. Living water and all their rituals and sacrifices and stuff they would do in the Old Testament, there were many commands. They were not allowed to use water that was still. It had to be living water, rushing water, fresh water. Couldn't be still water. That's why they would take it, because there was a spring of Gihon and so forth. It's such an important thing that Jeremiah says, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed them out cisterns. What is a cistern? We're almost done with the lesson part. What is a cistern? A cistern is when they would cut it out of the ground. It wasn't a well. It was a thing that they would coat in the side, and they would fill it with water. There was a cistern. God said this, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, rushing living water, and hewed themselves out cisterns, broken cisterns that hold no water. Because no matter how much water you put in them, it's going to leak through the cracks into the ground. Sometimes you get people that run to ministers. They run to these mediators that they have in their mind. They run to other people to get some of their living water. That living water that flows from them, which we'll get into, is important. It's meant to revive you, not sustain you. Because some people, no matter how much water, no matter how many times you lay hands, no matter how much you put in, no matter how much you put in, it's like a broken cistern. It just is never enough. Because it's not meant to sustain you. It's meant to revive you. It's meant to shoo, revive you so that you can pursue the presence of the Lord. That's what he says. He who believes in me, he who believes in me as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
Out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Why is this important? That word heart, whose version says belly? It says out of your belly, out of your heart will flow rivers of living water. You know that 80% of the time that that word is translated in the New Testament, 80% it's translated womb. Something has to be birthed in you. It's like this. This is salvation. Anyone who thirsts, come to me and let him drink. I drink. You drink in the Lord. You drink him in. What you drink in should become a river. Anyone who thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It's living water. It will become in you a river that flows out from you. And we're going to speak that. Take a drink, become a river. All say, take a drink, become a river. Take a drink, become a river. Okay. So that's my question. What flows from you? Do you know? What flows from you? It's all different. The Bible says this. He who believes in me, that's the qualification. If anyone, he who believes. As the scripture has said, out of his belly, out of his heart, out of the deepest part of his being, out of his womb, you will take a drink. You will take something of God into you, and he will begin a process into you. And if you partner with it, if you value his presence, if you guard it, if you walk with it, if you partner, it's going to birth something in you. It's not overnight, friends. This microwave generation stuff. Just go to some conference, wham, and the power of God will hit you. We're going to pray for people today. And it will bless you, and it will change and shift, but it will not sustain you. Because that's living water. Something was birthed in that man or woman. God is saying, let anyone who thirsts come to me, and I will give you a drink of living water. That drink will become in you a river. What flows from your life? (laughs) It actually says it will become rivers, plural different expressions. What flows from you? Different things will flow from different people. You know how you know what's, if there's something, a river of God flowing from you? Are the appetites of the people around you changing when they're near you? Do people get around you and their appetite is shifted towards God? It's something flowing from you then. You're emanating something. I say this Please hear my heart. This is the one thing, friends. I gave my life to this thing. I don't want people to get around me and not leave hungry. I want their appetites changed at the dinner table in conversation. Just from being near, even if I irritate them, I don't care. If I frustrate them, let's talk about the Bible. Let's talk about the Lord. Let's, I don't care about that. Let's talk about this. And it sometimes irritates people, but they leave irritated, frustrated. What are the gates of heaven built with in the new Jerusalem, in the new kingdom? Pearls. How are pearls formed? Through irritation. Form something in me. I don't care if I irritate you. Form, birth something in me. Let something flow from me. It's living water. You all have it. You have access to it. That's why I preach on righteousness, righteousness, grace. But there's still a pursuit once you have that revelation. There's still an obedience. There's still a pursuit of God. Because only He has it, friends. 
Only He has it. It's a difference between being saved, and, and I might offend some of you here. If you do get offended with what I say, please come speak to me. But I will challenge you, don't come without a Bible. Difference between being saved and being filled with the Spirit. You need to be filled, saturated with the Holy Spirit for that river to flow. In the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, it says this, four, I think it's verse 30, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. What's that word sealed? That's a brand. But brand, you're branded. Seal of ownership. In that moment, that's new birth. You're no longer your own. Your old man died. You're everything I preached. You are righteous. You are justified. You are raised again unto new life. Your old man has been crucified with Christ. It is I who live. That's all happened. You've been sealed. You no longer belong to yourself. You've been bought with a price. Your value comes from the cross. All that stuff is there. I've been branded. I have a guarantee of heaven. The Holy Spirit will hound me, the hound of heaven. I have a guarantee of what's to come. The Holy Spirit in one place in the Bible says it's like a down payment. That there's more coming one day in the day of redemption. That's all happened. You're sealed. But in Ephesians chapter 5, next chapter, the very next chapter, is he speaking to different people? No. In the next chapter, he says, Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. People that are sealed, people that are saved, people that are branded, people that have the Holy Spirit in terms of salvation. He's speaking to those people. And he says, you need to be filled. It's the difference between this, take a drink or jump in a swimming pool. It's the same substance, but now immersed in it. Be filled. Be filled with the life of God so that the river of life, friends, it only comes from Jesus, but he wants to bring it to other people through you. The drink you take, drink of me, the drink you take is for you. It changes you from the inside out. The river that flows from you is for others. That's not for you. That's for others. I look at this man, Chris Scania, sorry, as I look at him. He is so faithful when it comes to dreaming. I mean, every time I see him, he's, I had this dream, I wrote this down, and him and Julie, they wake up in the middle of the night. They do everything that I should. They write it down, they do this. They're so faithful with it. It now is beginning to emanate from him, how God speaks through dreams. It's something that will flow from his life. It's been birthed inside. God, I read a commentary. It says this, just as a person, can you stay with me for this, just as a person who is drunk with wine is under the control of alcohol. It says, do not be drunk with wine. We won't ask who's done that, because we'll see far too many hands. You'll see mine too. I once was not saved. Just as a person who is drunk with wine, just as a person who is drunk with wine is under the control of alcohol, so a spiritful believer is, under, is controlled by the Spirit. Filling is a step beyond the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Sealing is an action that God took at the point of our new birth. The tense of the Greek word filled indicates the filling is a moment-by-moment -moment repeatable action. It is something that Paul commands the believers at Ephesus to do. In other words, not all Christians are spirit-filled, but all are sealed. Don't take offense. That's the Bible. That's the Bible. 
And people say they got one touch once somewhere, some dude, someone, some woman. Say, well, I'm filled. My dad has always said we leak. You do not leak the sealed spirit. You do not. You're sealed. You're branded. That never changes. But that sense of being filled, you do not leak justification. You do not leak your value. You do not leak your righteousness. You don't. And the problem is that many parts of the body of Christ, they continue to try contend for that. They continue to try earn God's love, earn God's favor, earn God's this, earn. They're contending for everything that came when they were sealed. Instead of through obedience and love for God, run and pursue His presence so that they can have a river that flows from them for others. That stuff is done. That's what's to come. That's what's to come. So we pursue God. Hebrews says he is a rewarder. And we don't like this. And I'm not talking about works to earn a single thing from God. You can earn nothing. Yet the Bible says you were created for good works. Not works to earn. Works that you do from the place of righteousness. Because you love him. From, not to. Acts chapter 1, from the time they got saved, which happened in John 20, 22, Jesus breathed on them. They received the Holy Spirit. He breathed on them. He said, but do not go anywhere. He said, go into all the world, preach the gospels, and go into all the world. And then he gave them the Holy Spirit. Then he said, oh, but don't go anywhere. Wait. Wait until you are down on high. When he that the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power. Acts 1.8. From the time they got saved to the time they got filled with the Spirit, no one got saved. Nothing happened. Nothing happened. Christians, nothing happened. The day they got filled with the Spirit, 3,000 people got saved. No one ever said to Jesus, no one ever said to Jesus what they said to Peter. The conviction of the Holy Spirit so much upon them, they cried out, what must we do to be saved? No one ever said that to Jesus. <laughs> Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. Friends, if you would believe with me, and if you don't, I trust that God will reveal it to you, because it's true, that Jesus did not operate out of his divinity. Jesus said, I can do nothing of myself. He operated as a man filled with the Holy Spirit. He said that, John 5. Go look at it. He said it in many places. John 5, 19 is just one place. Friends, Ezekiel 47. Who's the temple of God? I can't hear you. We are. There's two times the Bible says, for you are the temple of God. One time he's referring to you as a person, and one time he's referring to the church. The Bible says that the river of God, the river of God, the river that flows of God, it says it comes from the temple. That's you. There should be a river that flows from this body into the city. What happens wherever the river flows? I'll just read it to you. When it reaches the sea, Firstly, you can go deeper. I encourage you, go home, read Ezekiel 47. I ask you to do that. They take him through. He measures out, you know, cubits. He takes him ankle deep, knee deep, waist, until it's, he's in a river that he cannot even swim. 
Some of us frolic, and that's fine. That's where we are. That's, that's not a condemnation. We frolic in ankle-deep water, and we think, this is awesome. God's saying, I want to take you deeper and deeper and deeper. We are completely trusting. Complete. You cannot swim. You cannot touch the ground. You have to trust me. You have no control. You cannot stand. It's a rushing, raging river. I'm in your hands, Lord. That's Ezekiel 47. He says, wherever that river flows, it will bring life. That's what it says. Listen to this. It says, when it reaches the sea, geographically it's talking about the Dead Sea. What's the issue with the Dead Sea? We all know rivers flow in, nothing flows out, right? That's why it dies. That's why it's dead. You know that the Dead Sea is 1,412 feet below sea level. It's the lowest point geographically on the earth. And God chose that place to give this man a vision, to show him that place. Why? When the river of God starts to flow from your life, it doesn't matter what it touches, how low, how degraded, how wasted of a life. I don't care what they've done. When the river of God from you touches that person, it brings life. No matter how dead, no matter how broken, it brings life. It says, when it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. It shall be that every living thing that moves wherever the rivers go will live. John 7, it says rivers, plural. Speaking about the same thing. There will be a great multitude of fish. What's fish, friends? What are we talking about Yeah, Seeing people saved. There will be a great multitude of fish because the waters go there. For they will be healed, the waters, not the fish. And everything will live wherever the river goes. It shall be that fishermen, that's you, make me fishers of men. It shall be that fishermen will stand by it from Engedi to Egliam. I don't even have time to go into those. Very important, those two words. The one means atonement. The one means the stalled calf, which is the trust of God, in other words. There will be places for spreading the nets. The fish will be of the same kinds as the great fish of the sea, exceedingly many, but it's swamps and marshes. It's swamps and marshes. Why? Because it will flow in, nothing flows out. What stops the river of God flowing if it once flowed in you before? Not sin. Not sin. Cross dealt with sin. Lack of action. There's nothing flowing from you, you die. If there's nothing flowing from you, if there's no river, if there's no action of, I'm birthing something for others, you're like a broken sister. You're trying to build it all up. I must build up my knowledge. I must, I must build it all up. And when I'm at a place where I feel that I can, yes, I can, yes, I can, the little train, then I read my son, yes, I can, yes, I can. When I'm at that place, then maybe I can pray for one person. And it's like a broken cistern. No matter how much water gets put in there, it just flows out. Jews felt like that. This is living water. Hebrew, understand, living water. In order to keep it flowing, something has to take place. You have to begin to allow it to flow. God put it in my heart today to speak about this and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I didn't know why. I realized it this morning. I believe we're declaring something into the heavenlies, not necessarily to you, as much as I love you. Into the heavenlies, first week we hear we preach the gospel. 
Second week, we speak about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's declaring, this is who we are as a body, friends. This is who we are. I will not apologize that I believe, that we believe here, that the life of God must flow from people. That there is such a thing as the tangible, manifest presence of God. That He wants to fill your life. He wants to change your heart so that you can take a drink to become a river. Doesn't matter what you do right and wrong. God will let God deal with that. Take that to Him. But do you know what it is to pursue Him? A large part of the body of Christ throughout the world have completely forgotten what it is to pursue God. To chase Him. Not that He needs to be chased like He's running away. But to pursue Him. To, to run after Him. To look to Him. To get on your knee day after day. Not get offended. And say, God, there's more. There is more. There is more of God than what you have. And sometimes you already have it, but because you don't see it, you don't believe it. And because you don't believe it, you don't have access to it, even though it's inside you. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. He's put that kingdom in your heart. Yes? So we need to ask the Lord. Teach us as individuals, but teach us as a body what it means for the river to flow. There's things we just, even here in this building, we're just not going to explain or apologize for. Because this is who we are. We've had a value for the presence of God since day one. A value for the prophetic. A value to see God so touch a person's heart and life. But friends, unless you go home and partner with it, and partner with it, and walk with it, and nurture it, and guard that place with the Lord, it's like... You get touched, and God will touch you, and God will bless you. But it seems to wash through you. It's not a guilt thing. God will keep touching you because He's a loving Father. He will keep blessing you. He will keep reigniting you. He will keep doing that because He's good. But how He wants to use you, you don't even have any idea. I sat with Dave Roberts this week. We were just speaking, just speaking in a meeting. And a desire and a hunger to pursue God began to be birthed in me again. And I said to him, you're, you're carrying something. There's already a river flowing. Because around him, my appetite was affected. That's who we are as God's people. Let the light of his face, his presence, shine on you. Let it shine on you. Let it touch you.